This is week three in a series through the book of Titus. So it's a little book. It's got three small chapters in Titus, but it is action-packed in your face. Uh, Titus, the, the theme of this whole book is what we're calling peculiar people, learning to live for God. Because there was some churches, some Christians in these house churches on this island of Crete, and they had some teachers that were teaching some stuff that just wasn't doctrinal, wasn't biblical, wasn't according to what Jesus taught or the apostles taught. And they're trying to teach their own thing so that they can make some money and really gain for themselves. They were selfish teachers, false teachers. And then uh, you've got these Christians that are living in a culture uh, which Titus was told these, these, Cretan, these uh, Cretan people were known to be liars They were meant to be selfish, self-serving people. And it was sneaking in that those habits that everybody else had, it was becoming part of the habits of Christians. And the whole purpose of this book was that the Apostle Paul says to Titus, you got to go in there, man, and you got to set in order things that are wanting. You've got to correct these teachers and teach them how to have sound doctrine. You got to tell them. What's, what's what here? Tell them, what, what does the scripture say? What, what does God actually want you to teach in these churches? Uh, sound doctrine. And then you've got to go in and, and uh, last week we went through some really cool things. If you go back and read chapter 2, that he was supposed to go in and teach the old men to be a certain way, to live a certain lifestyle that was godly lifestyle so that they could teach the younger men and then teach the older women that they were to live in a certain way and, and, and set, have a certain reputation to teach the younger women. And the whole purpose of all of this was that we would have a lifestyle that lines up with our doctrine, okay? When we talk lifestyle, that is what you do, what you say, how you act, how you respond, you're living should match up with what God's Word says. Or in other words, we said your walk should match up with the Word. All right? So here's what I want to do. We're going to finish this off tonight with one more action-packed chapter, and I'm going to read it out loud, and then we're going to walk through this here tonight. So uh, in your Bible, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 1 says, Put them in mind... To be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived. Serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior, uh, uh, love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly. Through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful 
to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them all that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Hey, and guess what? We read in the last three weeks the entire book of Titus together. If you never read Titus, we've read it now. All right? Uh, Tonight is interesting because the very first sentence says to put them in mind. The Apostle Paul tells Titus, listen, I need you to go to these churches and remind them of some things. Is anyone in here very forgetful like me? You just forget. And then somebody reminds you, and then you forget again, and again, and again, and you just need to be reminded. And and that seems to be the course of life, is we need reminders. Uh, I, I ask myself, it is clear that it was something that they had learned before. You've got to put them in mind. It means to remind. Why do we need to be reminded all the time about some basic things about Christian living? You know, we have this world around us, just like they had there, that has their ideas and their stuff, and that stuff is coming at us constantly, and we get used to it a little bit. Uh, whether that is getting used to uh, a certain type of language, listening to it, hearing it, and then we end up saying it. Wh- whatever it may be, the world has a way to conform us, right? Uh, that we're, it means to press us into its mold. In Romans 12, I, I want to just read this verse before we get into these reminders. Romans 12, Paul is saying, be not conformed to this world. Meaning, don't let the world out there Don't let the word on social media, don't let CNN, all the things you're hearing from your relatives, all the things you're hearing in the newspaper, if you read a newspaper, uh, don't let that stuff conform you. Don't don't let it form you, but instead be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. What that means is this, God has a way for us to live. And there's a world out there that's just, every influence in this world is trying to shape us, inform us, outside of God's will. And we need to renew our mind. We need some reminders, okay? We need to hear it again and hear it again. That's why it's not enough to just read the Bible on Sunday and hear preaching, because what happens on Monday is you forget it. And then you forget it again on Tuesday. And the Bible speaks so highly of meditating on Scripture and reading the Scripture daily and daily spending time with God. So, so there are some reminders we're going to see right here in Titus chapter 3. 
And the first reminder is to those that are citizens, okay? Uh, it's a reminder at what we should be and how we should live as a citizen. Uh, let, let me read this to you here, and then we'll talk about it. Put them in mind to, here we go, be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, To be ready to every good work. See, as a citizen, he says this here. uh, First of all, go in and teach them to be subject to principalities and powers. He's saying there are authorities in your life, in this world, meaning the laws of your your city, of your state. There's a government that God has put in place here. And he's saying to remind Christians to be subject to place yourself under those laws. Uh, he, he says, as a citizen, you're to be law-abiding. Did you know the Bible says that? Christians are not law-breakers. We, we don't do that. We, we, because we're honoring Christ and we're following this doctrine, this teaching, the doctrine says to be uh, law-abiding, to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey Magistrates, that means to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Uh, We talk about obedience uh, with our children, where we tell them what to do, and they obey. You know what that means? They do what we tell them to do. They follow our rules. There is a value that Christians should have as citizens to be good, law-abiding citizens. And he's supposed to go in there, and he's telling these Christians in Crete, listen, you've got some magistrates, you've got some, some people that are over you in your, your land here. Listen to what they have to say. Follow the rules. Um, don't speed. Don't cheat on your taxes. Do those things you know to be lawful and obey those things. And he, he, it's a, something he's telling them to do. And he says to be, uh, right here, ready to every good work. There ought to be a a, a circumstance in our life where we are ready to do what is good in the world. And part of that is to be law-abiding people. We we shouldn't be the ones that are trying to get around all the rules because we're rebellious. Rebellion is not a sign of Christianity, okay? We are submissive to authority, to those that are put in, in our place. And he was meant to go remind them, remind them, hey, you are a citizen of this country. Even though we say our citizenship is in heaven, right? You still live, whether you live in Columbus or Pickerington or whatever, when, when you see that speed limit sign, it should remind you that God has you there and you're to be a law-abiding citizen. I know I'm talking like, oh man, this is tough. Some of us have become so casual with just, oh, everybody, you know, skirts around the rules. It is a Christian value to follow the law. And, and this is what he's to be teaching these churches right here in Crete. He says, put them in mind. Remind them that they are citizens. And as citizens, they are to be subject, to be a law-abiding to the principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, take the freedom that they have, you know, take what they, the, the control of their own lives and obey, to place themselves under, to subject themselves to those that are in authority, to be ready to every good work. So he has this uh, reminder as a citizen, but he really gets, ah, it's a harsh chapter. And I, I was like, oh man, this is going to be really tough to teach. 
he, he doesn't just go in to say you should be law-abiding. Um, th- that's, a, that's very broad, be law-abiding. But then he talks about, and by the way, Christians treat each other differently than the world does. There's a way, not only as a citizen you're supposed to act, but just as a human, as a person. You have a, a way that we interact with people, and this is going to really hit home with many of you. Uh, because we forget these things sometimes. We, we for forgetful. We need reminders. And he says, I'm going to remind you what it is to be a Christian person, a Christian human being. He says, verse number two, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. The first thing he says here is to uh, speak evil of no man. That means, as a person, do not speak negatively of others. The, the word here to speak evil is, is to blaspheme. It's the same thing where he said that the, the older women and the older men and the younger women and the younger men are supposed to live a certain way so that the word of God be not blasphemed. What he, what he said there was people are like questioning your beliefs because of your lifestyle. And he's saying the same is to be true. Uh, you're to speak evil of no man. You're, you're not to speak falsely. You're not to vilify. You're not to slander or defame another person. Uh, as a Christian person, our words should not defame or speak ill of other people. Say, oh man. Sometimes that's like our favorite thing to do. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, this is really convicting to me because sometimes we, it feels nice. It's a fleshly thing to just go home and just, this person did this and this person did that. And did you see that person? And by the way, and you just go on and your mouth is out of control. Well, I, I want to read you some things that one of the Bible commentators said that really put it into perspective. Speak uh, ill of no, speak evil of no man. And, and just to be clear, no man, that is a broad term. There, there should not be words coming out of our mouth that are ill, evil of any single person. You say, but this person is an exception. No exceptions, okay? This is not found in here. Um, let, me, let me read this, and maybe this will bring some uh, clarity. One man summarized this, speak evil of no man, by saying this. We are not to say anything to anyone or of anyone which will do him injury. We are never to utter anything which we know to be false about him or to give such a coloring to his words or, con- or conduct as to do him wrong in any way. We should always speak to him and of him in such a way that he will have no reason to complain that he is an injured man. It may be necessary when we're called to state that we know uh, what we know of his character, to say things which are not at all in his favor or things which he has said or done that were wrong. But, he says, number one, we should never do this for the purpose of doing him injury or so as to find a pleasure in it. There, there should never be a joy that we have in just spouting off with our mouth negatively about another person. So what this, that's the intention of this. Speak evil of no man. Uh, and he says, if you have to speak honestly about somebody, do it where it is necessary to make that statement. It should be so as to do him no injustice. 
Uh, we shouldn't be using our words to paint a picture to someone else. Uh, maybe you speak about a person to your boss or uh, about a person to your friend. We should not be painting other people in a negative light just because we want to. Maybe it'll gain us a little something or make us look better or seem better. Uh, this commentator says we should give no improper coloring. We, we should exaggerate no circumstances. We should never attempt to express ourselves about his motives or charge on him bad motives, for we know not what his motives were. You know, sometimes when we're talking about people, we, we instead of just stating facts or uh, saying, hey, so-and-so dropped the ball or this didn't go the way we hoped it would have been, uh, we try to, like, judge their motives. This person doesn't care and this person thinks this. Well, the Bible says, speak evil of no man. Uh, we should... Uh, it says we should state every circumstance of which we have knowledge and do entire justice to it. We should not make the bad traits of his character prominent and pass over all that is good. Sometimes we talk about people, problem one, but sometimes when we talk about people, we just talk all about the things we don't like about those people. We speak evil of them. Let's just share all the bad things about them we can and to no credit of them that they're any good at all, all because we feel like it. Um, in a word, he says, we should show that we would rather find them to be good than to be bad, even if the result should be that we had been mistaken in our opinions. It is better that we should have been mistaken than that he should be a bad man. Meaning, question your motives, when talking about other people. I, I don't know who you talk about or who you want to talk about. Uh, often we talk about uh, politicians in ways we don't want to. We don't like them, you know. We, we just share all the negative things. Who are you helping? And is it in line with speak evil of no man? Uh, there was a book that I had read a long time ago. It, it, I would recommend it to everybody. It's a book really about dealing with people. And it's right in line with this verse where Paul is saying, teach the Christians to speak evil of no man. Uh, it's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have any of you ever read that book before? Nobody? I, I would, okay, I got a few. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It, it basically says, here are some basic uh, human relatable rules if you follow these, your life will be a little better. Uh, but it tells the story of Benjamin Franklin, who was just really skilled at dealing with people. Uh, he was made to be the American ambassador to France. And the secret to his success is that he lived by a certain motto. This was something he was known for. And here's Benjamin Franklin's motto. He said, I will speak ill of no man. Sounds familiar. And speak all the good... I know of everybody. Now, this is a short verse in Scripture. A short part of a verse in Scripture. To speak evil of no man. But which to, to you seems more like Christ? Does it seem more to you like Christ if we just are constantly going to others and saying, I don't like this about them and I don't like this about them and they're this and they're that and we talk negatively? Or would it be more Christ liked to say, I will speak ill of no man and speak all the good I know of everybody. Hey, 
you may not like that person, but just you are refraining. You're having self-control with your tongue to not say those things. Which do you think would represent following Christ, filled with the Spirit, walk matching the Word, lifestyle matching doctrine? That's the whole point of this chapter, is that we would live differently than the world. The world is all about this railing accusation. They this, they hate, and they this, and they don't. That is not a quality of a Holy Spirit-controlled mouth, okay? We speak evil of no man. And I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself. This is something we all need to uh, consider and, and really take seriously. The next thing he says as a, as a person, as a Christian uh, person, as you relate to other people, number one is to speak evil of no man. Don't speak negatively of others. But number two is that we should avoid fights and arguments. The Bible says be no brawlers. Uh, that, that be no brawlers is, is the meaning to avoid quarreling, to avoid fights, to be peaceable. Do you know anybody, and maybe it's you at times, that is just ready to fight with somebody, just ready to argue at a moment's notice? Be peaceable. Christians are peaceable. Uh, avoid fights and arguments. Uh, it is a controlling thing. He, he goes in to say, uh, next, not only do we be no brawlers, he says, but gentle. He says, don't be quarreling or arguing or fighting, but here's another way instead that you should respond and react. He says, be gentle. Uh, what that means is control your reactions. Control your reactions. See, when somebody comes to you and they tell you something they don't like, you have a couple options as a Christian. You can respond in a spiritual way, or you can respond in a fleshly way, right? You can respond in a way that lines up with what God taught you to be the right way to respond, or you can just, this is how I feel, and I'm going to give it to him, right? Be no brawlers, but gentle. Be no brawlers, but gentle. Uh, avoid the fight and the argument. Control your reaction. This word gentle is the Bible word moderation. Uh, moderation speaks of self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. When you're following Christ, when you're submitted to Him, when He's leading you, your words will be no brawlers, but gentle, okay? We will control our reactions. Um, I, I do like to read, and I, I remember so clearly, I, I read this little pamphlet when I was in college, and uh, Trisha gave it to me, my wife, and it's probably really good that she did, and I, I need to find it. It says, your reactions are showing. And it was all about this, this idea is that your reactions are a great revealer of whether or not you're walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. How do you respond? Are you quick to be angry? Are you quick to just get into an argument? Or are you choosing to avoid the argument and control your reaction to be gentle? So he says, as a person, here's a reminder, don't speak negatively of others. Avoid fights and arguments. Control your reactions and, and, and then he goes on to say, uh, in verse number two, showing all meekness unto all men. What that means is 
to treat every person with dignity and respect. To treat every person with dignity and respect. Um, One commentator calls it showing all courtesy to all men. We treat people with common decency and courtesy. We treat people kindly the way that we would want to be treated. Uh, We have had a lot of conversations lately, and it just comes up. uh, Has anybody bought fast food lately? Fast food? Okay, some of you are like, I don't do fast food. Uh, Good for you. Uh, But we often get fast food, or you go and order somewhere. Well, every place is hiring right now, and every place is short-staffed right now. In a good illustration of this Christian living, treating every person with uh, dignity and respect, this idea of showing all meekness unto all men. When he says all meekness, the idea is that you show the most meekness you can, this high quality of meekness. The, uh, it means all, the best courtesy, the best treatment. The idea of meekness is humility. Meaning you don't go into a situation and treat somebody like, I'm better than you are, and so you should serve me. Though that is a customer service principle, that is not a Christian principle, okay? We treat everybody. It doesn't matter if they're a CEO or if they're a waitress or if they're a drive through worker. We treat them all with dignity and respect. This is a Christian principle that was to be taught here. They're just ways to deal with people. Don't speak evil. Don't speak negatively. Avoid fights and arguments. Control your reactions. Treat every person with dignity and respect. Now, that's a tall order. Does anybody agree with me? That's a, that's a lot. That is biblical. That is the, when the Bible talks about living in a way where your lifestyle matches your doctrine, where you live a life of sound doctrine, where you, where you follow Christ, where your walk matches the word, that is what it looks like. It looks like controlling your tongue, not reacting, avoiding fights, being gentle. It looks like treating every person with dignity and respect. That means people we like, and that means people we don't like. That means our loved ones that we like, and that means our loved ones we don't like. Now, I want to answer the question, why? Why? Why do Christians, why, are, why would the Apostle Paul go through such an effort to send Titus back to this island to teach these people these things? Stop speaking negatively about people. Stop getting into fights. Learn to control your tongue and be gentle, and then treat everybody with respect. Why, why would he go through such lengths? And he explains himself here. Verse number three, he says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. He says, go in and tell the Christians that these are things we used to be. These are things, listen, Before Christ, we were angry and fighting and mean and spiteful and hateful, and we treated people the way we felt. But, he says, verse number four, after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing 
of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says, listen, why do you live differently? Why treat people with respect? Why not lash out at them? He says, here's the reason why. You show kindness to others because God showed kindness to you. That's the main reason. The idea is that we treat others with kindness because God treated us with kindness. Jesus saved you from your sinful ways. That's the message to this church in Titus. You are saved from that terrible speech, from talking evil about people, from being this way toward other people. Uh, And he says, God saved you from that. God's kindness was lavishly given to you. And it says here, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. What that means is when God saved you, you didn't deserve it. When God saved you, you were against God. God would save somebody that's cussing, sinful, got drug problems, uh, somebody that's living a lustful life, a hateful life, God saves those people. Not because they deserve it, because he's good, because he's kind. And he extends this great mercy to people that were his enemies. The idea is that uh, this mercy is withholding a punishment, choosing not to give what someone deserves. It's undeserved kindness. When we were foolish people, God loved us. And so we love foolish people. When we were disobedient, when we wouldn't listen, when somebody can't follow your instructions, you treat them with dignity and respect and kindness because that's how God treats you. When we were liars, God so loved. When we were cheaters, God so loved. So we have to ask the question, practically speaking, this is one of the most practical books of the Bible. How do you react when someone wrongs you? How do you react when someone says something you don't like? Do you just chalk it up to, hey, this is just the way I am. They're about to get a piece of my mind. What they should get is a piece of Jesus' mind, okay? Not your mind, because you are dead with Christ and alive with Christ, and he now speaks through you. So how do we react when a waiter or waitress is slow and we can't get what we want? How do we react when a coworker gives us a hard time? How do we react when our spouse maybe says something in public that embarrasses you or disagrees with you? Do we treat these people with dignity, respect, kindness, or do we degrade them, talk bad about them behind their back, speak negatively about them? Uh, What do we do when someone tells us no? What do we do when we don't like the law and we want to do our own thing? See, Christians are law-abiding citizens that respect those that are in authority. When it comes to dealing with other people, Christians speak ill of no man. We avoid fights. Instead, we respond with self-control and we treat every person with dignity and respect. How do we react when someone wrongs us? It should be that we respond with gentleness self-control, kindness, peace. Sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. Sounds a lot like Jesus. We need to consider these things. And, And the reason Titus was written is not just for those people in Crete to learn something. It was so that we could read it today and learn something. We live in a world full of people that treat people like dirt. 
that disrespect people, that call them names, that talk about them behind their back, that are just quick to be angry all the time, that complain about everything. And the point is, Christians don't do that. That is not the way Christianity is to be lived out. And Christianity is to be lived out. It is not simply a set of doctrinal beliefs that we say we believe. It is a set of doctrinal beliefs that we put into our lives that come out in our lifestyle. You understand? That is what Christianity is about. That is what this Titus is about. And he goes on in verse number 8, and he says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. He says, I've got something to say that I hope that you just affirm and confirm consistently. Keep saying it. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. He's saying there's some characteristic about Christians. You know what it is? Christians do good things. Christians are good. They speak good. They act good. They talk good. They relate to people good. They're good. That's what Christians are. And he says Christians live a lifestyle that is good for society. What he's saying is if you're a Christian, if you're saying I follow Christ, well, then follow Christ, speak like Christ, talk like Christ, be like Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying he had to send someone in to get that message clear. Here's what we need to do. We need to quit tolerating in our own lives negativity, rudeness, unkindness, bitterness, wrath, anger, selfishness, and how we deal with other people. We don't have room for that in our lives according to Scripture. Does that make sense? All of those things. Let me, I, I got to go back to chapter 2 because this is the theme verse of this whole passage. Uh, Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Oh, we love God's grace and it's so good and he, he gives us so much. But it teaches us. Verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Christians are called out of the world. That is the whole meaning of a church. When we see, say we're a family, we, we're talking about church family. Uh, that, that word is ecclesia, that church. It's a called out assembly of believers. This church family should be known to be people that speak evil of no man. It should not be normal conversation in hallways. It should not be normal conversation on Facebook. It should not be normal conversations in our homes to just bash people all the time. That is not a Christian value, and it's not a church value. Christians speak kindly because we're shown kindness. We speak respectfully because God values and respects people We need to quit tolerating these things in our lives. We need to thoroughly ask ourselves and be willing to confess and repent and forsake some of these things to say, God, I'm reading your word and this does not line up with the way I'm living and I need to fix it. That is the essential purpose for us coming into church is to look into this Bible, see what it says, examine ourselves, confess, repent, and walk out differently. And that is the purpose of the book of Titus. Titus 2, verse 14, we read that that God redeemed us 
from all iniquity. He purifies us unto himself, a peculiar people. We should be different. We should speak different, act different, because we are different. In conclusion here, those are great words for, uh, to hear when you're listening to a sermon. In conclusion, uh, in my Bible, uh, when we get down to verse 12, it says closing remarks, right? Those are good. Closing remarks. Uh, so after verse 8, he says, these are good and profitable unto men. He says, but avoid foolish questions, genealogies, and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Uh, he, he's got a contrast here. He says, you know, it's profitable that you learn how to be a good citizen, how to treat other people, how to live doctrinally. But there are some certain things in the church that are just not profitable. It's just kind of a waste of time. Uh, he, Paul reminds Titus not to get caught up uh, in wasting his time with these false teachers. And I put this in my notes, and they're baloney. I've never put baloney in my notes before, and I thought it would be fun on a Wednesday night. Um, listen, these guys were teaching things. They were described as foolish questions, genealogies, the, the idea that uh, uh, let's, let's go back in history and figure out if my dad and my grandfather was part of this line and maybe part of the line of the Messiah and all this stuff. And he's basically saying to Titus, these teachers and these people are so caught up on stuff that doesn't matter, it, just avoid it. Just avoid that stuff. All it does is cause strife, and uh, it just, it's not good. Avoid foolish questions, genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law, for they're unprofitable and vain. They're just empty. Uh, but then we end, there's this really good explanation of how to deal with a false teacher. What do you do if you're in church and somebody is teaching falsely? Because this is what was happening. Uh, he, he says to Titus, in verse number 10, a man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. He says, you got, he sent Titus in, he's going to go in and appoint elders, appoint teachers that had great qualifications over these churches, but he was also to tell the ones that were there, teach sound doctrine, fix what you're saying. What do we do in a church when we have somebody that may be teaching falsely? The Bible says there needs to be a first admonition, and there needs to be a second admonition. The first admonition, that, that word admonition is a rebuke or a warning. The idea is that you, somebody that's teaching falsely, give them an opportunity to explain themselves, to, to maybe answer, uh, was it a misunderstanding? Was there something I'm not teaching? Give them a chance to confess and repent and get this right and change what they're saying. But he said then there's a second admonition, a second warning. Once you get through the first one, and then you get through the second one, he says reject. There's, there's an idea that uh, this is not to be tolerated. The, the, the doctrine of the church is of utmost importance. It's just so important that it, it is okay to turn that person away. It says, knowing that he is, that is such is subverted. He's, he's basically, uh, his thoughts uh, and his teachings are, are wrong. And it says, he even sinneth being condemned of himself. The things that he's teaching is already condemning himself. He's already shown everybody that he is not of sound doctrine, so we no longer listen to what he has to say. Um, and that's just a really, really cool, um, something we didn't know. We don't, we don't really talk about that often. What do you do? Uh, well, give him opportunity to explain himself. First admonition, and then there's a second admonition. If, if there's not a reconciling with the truth, that person is sinning, and he shows he's not capable of teaching 
or preaching. And then as the chapter closes, he says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me in Nicopolis, for I have determined to winter there. He's saying, I'm taking a winter break. Come pay me a visit. You know, this is a letter to a friend, a letter to somebody in ministry. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Take care of my friends, the lawyer and Apollos. He says, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. Uh, And the idea here is that we should be always ready in emergency circumstances when things are, people have needs to meet those needs uh, for necessary uses. He says, all that are with me, salute thee, greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Closing thoughts. Titus. I hope that you can walk away with seeing that Titus is an important book of the Bible. It talks about the way we ought to live. And that way that we ought to live is different than the rest of the world. Uh, Titus chapter 1 began by saying it was a message uh, and it was about God. But it said, God that cannot lie. And then it compared God that cannot lie to these Cretans living in a culture of liars. And the book calls us out to be peculiar people. What that means is we're to have characteristics about our lifestyle, actually the things that we say, what we do, what we don't do, that are characteristic of the one that we say we're serving. If God is not a liar, he cannot lie, well, then we don't either. If God shows kindness, well, then so do we. And that's the point of this book is that these Christians in Crete, they had to learn to live for God. Uh, You are not going to naturally do all these things. But you will, by submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit and supernaturally, with His ability, be able to live this way. Jesus saved you to be different. What makes you different is when your lifestyle matches up with the doctrine of the Bible.